Why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Father God, uh, we thank you this morning for the opportunity that we can gather together um, with uh, fellow brothers and sisters. We thank you for the generosity even of being able to gather together this morning and to, um, to uh, seek to worship and honor and learn about a risen Lord and a risen Savior. Uh, Father, we thank you for the generosity that you provided to us in Christ as believers, and you'd ask that as we uh, think through what it means to have a heart of generosity this morning, Father, that you would uh, open our, our eyes and, and even our hearts to what that means and help us to think through that uh, more clearly through the eyes that you've presented in your word. And that uh, out of that, Father, we may uh, engage in more uh, generous actions with our time, our attentions, and our money, and our resources, Father, uh, toward others and all to your glory. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I have not one penny in hand for the orphans. In a day or two, again, many pounds will be needed. My eyes are up to the Lord. George Mueller wrote these words in his diary as he prayed on August 18, 1838. The expenses of the orphanage in Bristol, England, had been graciously met for the first two years of his work there, but now much more difficult times appeared to be on the horizon. On that particular evening, a Christian woman who knew nothing of the dire situation facing the orphans or of Mueller's ministry knocked on the door and unexpectedly brought in five pounds. She had been praying, and the thought came to her later, she wrote, quote, I have five pounds extra right now, not owing it to anyone. And since I was going to sell some of my jewelry for the orphans over time, why not take the five pounds to them at once instead of waiting to dispose of my trinkets? Her generous heart led to action that supported the work of George Mueller's ministry to the orphans in Bristol. Well, good morning, and my name is Eric Pelletier. I'm a member here at Delray Baptist Church and have been a member for a little over a year and a half, and I'm delighted to be with you here this morning. And if I haven't met you, I look forward to, uh, to meeting you as well. So welcome to our third class in our series on what the Bible teaches on matters of finance. The last two weeks we've thought together on what scripture says regarding the use of material resources and matters of stewardship. The first week we looked at the dangers and delights of material possession by looking at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, thinking through both the responses of the faithful and the faithless servant. Last week we thought more practically on stewardship uh, of our material possessions and how to use tools like budgeting um, for our time and our money. Today, and next week, Lord willing, we're going to dig deeper into matters of giving. First today, with a look at what the scripture says about having a heart of generosity, and then next week, on the theology and some more practical aspects of what it means to give. So there are four main ideas that we're going to be talking about this morning, and they're literally kind of throughout our, our conversation today, and they're also printed right at the top of your handout there, so you don't have to um, kind of write those down, but just to keep, keep a thought about these, and I want us to think about these at the beginning, at the end of what we talk about today, and, these are, and, and those four ideas are this. First, God is generous toward us, so we should be generous toward God and others. Second, our hearts reflect our loves and purposes and therefore should direct our words and actions. Three, the overflow of a biblically generous heart will produce fruits of generous actions with our attention, our time, and our material resources. And fourth and finally, a heart of generosity will result in generous actions toward God and others who are made in his image out of love, joy, thankfulness, and obedience. So let's jump right in. Can someone define what we generally refer to as being generous? 
What does it mean to be generous? Don? <coughs> to not withhold something you have. Not withhold something you have. Good. Ideas. What's it mean to be generous? To be characterized by giving. Characterized by giving. Good. Excellent. Any other ideas? Those are those are great. So it's showing kind kindness toward others, providing something that you have with someone else. Um, a good dictionary definition of a generous person might describe someone who shows a readiness to give more of something, such as money or time, than is strictly necessary or even expected. This could be, for example, a neighbor uh, spending a generous amount of time helping to clean up your yard uh, after a big storm, or maybe spending a generous amount of time chasing down a lost pet. Right? Perhaps it's the patron in a restaurant who leaves more than a 20% tip for the server to show their extra appreciation for the care and service they've been given. Or maybe your mind drifts back to maybe more of your childhood days and you think of a generous uh, person as your grandparent giving you that extra large scoop of ice cream. These are all familiar examples of what it means to be gener generous. So if we know what generous is, what then is generosity? Other than the act of being generous. What is generosity? Doc. It would be like, it's like a mindset or like, I'm going to be generous. Mm -hmm. like Almost a predisposition to being extra kind or extra generous of recognizing we've been blessed and wanting to provide that, that blessing to others, right? So based on that, um, the quality of being a generous or unexpectedly helpful, um, we view that as a positive attribute, right? Generally, it's a positive thing, yeah. right? People, not really a negative thing. So, we'd, so we would consider ourselves, you know, generally pro-generosity, right? We want people to be generous to ourselves. We're, we're, we're pro-generosity. Everybody established that? We can agree on that? Okay. So, um, so we, can, we can agree that we're all pro-generosity for ourselves. Where are we on being pro-generosity for others? I like generous people. You like generous people, yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Pro-generosity for others. So, um, you know, I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, that depends, right? In theory, we're always one, we want, we want to be generous. You know, everybody, we want to be generous to everybody. Everybody, you know, should exist in generosity. But I think in practice, it's a lot more complicated a question, right? So. Whether we acknowledge it at first or not, when confronted with another person in need, whether that be of attention, time, resources, our hearts and minds can often make a calculation, right? A calculation on whether that person deserves that generosity from us. We ponder the trade-offs, the inconvenience, even the deserved, deservedness of that individual. Let's think of some examples. When you're driving in your car and you stop that light and there's the homeless man on the street corner. What do you think? When the brother or sister who has just had an unexpected health emergency um, and is seeking assistance with that, and you've been saving up for that vacation or that item that you over time you've done really well, you've been a good steward, you've saved everything, and those resources would help that brother in need. Think of the story you hear on the news about the, the refugee or those displaced by a storm, uh, fleeing danger, and they, they need uh, assistance or an organization that's helping them. If we're honest with ourselves, we definitely do that calculation. We look at the trade-offs. We look at the inconvenience. 
and we sometimes make, make excuses. Thoughts may run through our minds, and even at sometimes thoughts may cross our lips, stating that there's others that could help with that. There's others that could more easily do it. I don't have a lot to give. I wouldn't be able to help much. It wouldn't make much of a difference. And others could do that without, without as much inconvenience as it would be with me. Or perhaps we're even a little more cynical, maybe realistic in the minds of some, that you know, in that organization that's seeking to help those that are in need, um, you, know, you make the assumption that that organization is maybe corrupt. It doesn't really provide as much the various things. It's, there's, there's, there's concerns about where that is. You know, so why even try? Sadly, I think there are times when all of us have had these ideas circle around in our mind, um, whether we like to admit it or not. This morning, I want to contend that in truth, our hesitations and generosity toward others, and even to God, depend much less on others than on the state of our own hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 9 reads, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for, what, for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be any unworthy thought in your heart. In short, we're not generous because of the lack of worthwhileness of others, or just because we don't want to be Scrooge, but because we don't have Christ-like hearts of generosity. It's a problem with us, not a problem with others. As Christians, our hearts should be bent in the direction of generosity. Now let me be clear. Our situation here is a direct result of our sinful nature. And we know this from 2 Peter 1.4. Our natural inclination is towards self-preservation and selfishness. That is what naturally and rationally flows from a view of the world where we are our own king and lord and the sole decider of what we do or don't do and what's good or not good for us. Being truly generous toward others, or what we're going to describe as biblical generosity this morning, is an unnatural act for everyone who is conformed to the, to the things of this world. Rather, the Christian has been transformed by the saving work of Christ and the renewing of their minds under the external, uh, ex- eternal lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me know this from Romans 12, verse 2. So this is an irrational act. Does everybody kind of generally kind of understand the, the difference we're sort of talking about things? A little bit painful, a little self-reflection this morning, but I think kind of really helpful to kind of really focus this foundationally. Seeing lots of nodding heads, think people are following this along. All right, so let's jump into what is biblical generosity? How should we understand and unpack the idea of biblical generosity? Well, as always, in order to understand what God teaches about something, we need to go to his revealed word where God not only instructs, but demonstrates and models that instruction in his own revealed character. Can you turn with me in your Bibles or scroll on your iPhones um, to the book of Romans, chapter 8? And we're going to be looking at verse 32. And could someone read aloud verse 32 for all of us? Who's got that? Dot. Right. So here we see the ultimate generosity, right? God gave up his own son to satisfy his holy wrath against our, sal- against our sin and provide the salvation path for those who repent and believe. Now, being the ultimate thing that every sinner needs, that, that, that is indeed generous abundance, right? 
But Paul does not stop with just that. What's the second half of that verse say again? How will he not with him graciously give us all things? Excellent. I love that you have it from memory. Very well, that's good. Um, going back to our definition of generosity, do both of these promises and statements of fact show that God has provided well beyond what could be expected? Absolutely, right? Our sin only deserves death and destruction and eternal separation from God's grace. By the way, not God's wrath, right? From God's grace, right? So what are these gracious gifts of all things? Again, to find that, we're going to turn over a few more pages in in Scripture and turn over to the book of James, chapter 1. Can someone read James, chapter 1, verse 17? Great, thank you. So, who is the father of lights? Is it Thomas Edison? No, right. Father of lights, right? God, okay? So, every good and perfect gift is from God. Every good and perfect gift. So, have any of you received any gifts from God lately? See lots of nodding heads, right? So, our very lives are gifts, right? The ability to breathe, the ability for me to stand right here right now, the ability for you all to sit in this room and for us to be um, gathered together, uh, to be accessed to have his word. Those of you who were able to eat eat a meal this morning, all those are good gifts, right? All those are blessings. Everything we have and experience is a gift. The gift of family and generous and kind moments that we may have with them. The gift of playing ball with your kids, right? That's a gift. That's a good thing right? Um, Having that special tea party with your daughter where you're that special guest, right? That's a good gift. Um, Making a good meal when it really matters. Hey, all the ingredients worked and various things. The fact that I always like to say, even praying with things, the fact that taste, that food tastes good. God didn't need to do that, but he did that as a way of sort of his gracious gifts of kindness and common grace of loving us, right? Um, The gift of church and church family. But most importantly, the greatest gift the most perfect, most good gift of all is to be able to stand among the redeemed, right? To not just be, to be called a child of God by yourself or even by me, but that God, the maker of heaven and earth, calls me, calls you if you're a repentant believer, a child of God is an unbelievably astonishing gift. What more could we ask for? Now, there are numerous examples in Scripture uh, of God's generosity, and we could profitably spend our time all morning sort of going through and and sharing with each other uh, various aspects of where we see God's gifts in in Scripture. And that would be a great thing to spend some time on this week of just sort of looking through things or looking for the gifts in the passages that you're already studying. That'd be a great thing, again, to reorient our hearts to think about things. But just a couple of them, and some of these will seem, wow, I never really thought about that because that's how I found them and thought the same thing because they didn't immediately pop to mind. But... Um, So one of the most common ones that people think about, of course, is um, from Exodus 16, where we see God providing sufficient daily food to the sojourning Israelites in the form of manna, right? When they were wandering around and looking for things and provided just as much as they needed, not more, not less. Um, We see God's generosity in a different way in Psalm 23, where even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he gives us the gift of a promise that we'll fear no evil or want because God is with us. That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a gift, right? We see in the Psalms and in Job 
how he specifically ordained and created and equipped mountain goats to live in the high mountains for safety because that was one of the best and safest places for them to have kids. Kids meaning the goats are kids, right? So um, uh, we see the promise of the sufficiency of Christ for all we need in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. There's many gifts. And like I said, we could spend all our time, and if we open it up to a discussion, we, we could probably spend all our time on that. But um, you, you get the point, right? All of these are reminders of his goodness. And so from this, we can know that God is the originator of all biblical generosity. It's a fundamental aspect of God's character, and it's an indisputable fact, whether you believe or whether you don't. So if God is generous toward us, we should be generous toward God and others with all that we have. I think it's a statement that we all can, again, in theory, agree with, right? That, that makes sense. And we can see this clearly in 2 Corinthians 8, chapters 9, uh, chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. Can we turn, someone want to turn there and read that passage for us? 2 Corinthians 8. And by the way, on your handout, every, every one of the scripture verses in the different sections that we kind of use or reference is all there, so you can use that um, for reference about thinking through some of these things um, should you want to dig any deeper. Who has 2 Corinthians 8? Great. 9 through 14, thank you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Okay. So here we see clearly um, from verse 9 um, that God has generously given to us in the gospel. And the gospel is often um, referred in the New Testament in, in many ways in monetary terms, just as, you know, Christ has ransomed us, you know, um, you know, various things, or purchased us with his blood, right? So this, this concept of God has generously given to us, even in that, in that sense, is, is, is very clear here. Um, and um, it's also clear in what's being instructed here is that we should reciprocate God's generous gifts with generosity toward God and others as his image bearers. So in here you can see um, that this is the, the fact that, the, the, that this benefits us um, and not that we just did it. We're going to talk about that in a second. Just did it. But that he wanted to do it, desired to do it. It becomes actually a good thing. You know, looked at it as something that you, you intentionally want to do. And it, 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 it's good for us in, in, in being a, uh, a, generous, a generous individual that, that shares the blessings that they've been given. So this concept of image bearers, right? As Christians, we remember that we're indeed image bearers. And where do we find the best scripture passage for image bearing in, in the Old Testament. Genesis, right? Genesis one twenty seven, right? Tells us that God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. So, um, so wh whose image was God created in? Uh, Correct, right? Originated various things, right? We were created in God's image, so we image our creator, right? So we know we're ambassadors in this world on a temporary mission 
till we reach our eternal home with God in the celestial city, right? We're, we, we're ambassadors, we're temporary. We're here on a mission, and our mission is to image God in what we do, right? So as we grow more and more in Christ-likeness, we should be growing more and more in our reflection of God's character, including in generosity toward God and others. And we see this in Ephesians 4 and 2 Peter 3, uh, if you would like to look at that um, a bit later. We see this very clearly about what that, what that looks like and how that applies um, in all aspects of our life, generosity being one of those as well. Questions, comments on this idea of Christians needing to be generous, needing to sort of think about what this, uh, this means, this idea of being image bearers and being generous. Any comments, questions? And we'll be awkward for a few minutes till someone asks a good question. <laughs> Remember, it sort of writes, it turns things further than upside down. I mean, we go through most of our lives talking about all the things we don't have or we need or we want more or we want various other things, right? When we sort of realize we start at the foundation of the things we have, the most important things, we have that in abundance. And we didn't even have to do anything for it other than repent, believe, and turn of various things. Yes? No, 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 it is. And we're going to talk next week specifically going to get into theology, getting some practical aspects about how to think about obligations, all the various sort of things and how to think about that a little more. And there's obviously individual aspects to every sort of one of these questions that you, know, you should sort of, you know, dig into with another brother or sister and, and get at some other sort of wisdom in that sense of the practical things. But just to take the example of, um, um, you know, what to do about the, the gentleman that's standing at the stoplight, you know, various sort of things. You don't, you know, giving them money or various things, you don't know they're going to use that for some other type of sinful activity or various things. So one of the things, when our kids were younger, um, my wife started, um, those of you who know my wife, this is not going to surprise you, um, started thinking about how to use this as a teaching moment with our kids. And so she would carry granola bars or candy bars even, of various sort of things. And every day on the way home from school, you know, they would sort of stop and see their friend Tony, who was a, a disabled veteran who sort of sort of, and we wouldn't give him money because we didn't know he was very sick, but we'd give him food. He's hungry for food, very sick, and engage in a conversation and began to kind of get to know. So it, it's like looking for those things. It's the person who's the homeless person or somebody who's seeking um, funding outside of a restaurant or a shop, various things. You know, instead of just giving them money, take them inside, buy them a sandwich. You know, do, do something that practically sort of addresses some of those things. And it takes a little more initiative and a little more time when you're trying to hit that lunch for exactly, you know, 27 minutes and, you know, not miss But thinking about sort of those, sort of there are ways that you can sort of still have that heart of, a, heart, heart of generosity and think through some of those practical aspects. But again, these are things that are best, you know, talked through um, in, in how, you know, the practicalness sort of with another, you know, brother or sister kind of thinking through these things. But very, very valid and, and real, real point and real question. Thank you. Anything else? All right, um, let's move into a little, dig a little deeper on what we mean by the heart matters for generosity. And I want to, 
um, re kind of remind ourselves of three things we've talked about sort of already serially in a bit in this class and things we've been covered about very important foundations for understanding a heart of generosity. First, everything belongs to God and everything we have or possess was provided by God. So we're not really giving what is ours to God, right? Or to someone else in our generosity. We are sharing with others some of what God has shared with us to steward for his kingdom purposes, including giving generously back to God as acts of worship, praise, and obedience. Second, our generosity is not a contingent transaction with God, right? We're not repaying a debt that if we don't repay, we lose our salvation. And we're not just paying off something we bought as if we're paying off a mortgage over 30 years, right? Salvation is a free gift provided in grace and mercy from God for sinners who repent and believe and turn from their sins toward Christ in obedience to his commands. We've actually bought nothing but eternal separation from God with our sin. God brought us with, bought us with a price in the death and sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Again, remember back to that monetary way in which the gospel is often referred to, right? But it's not a contingent transaction. Third, we talked a little bit about this last week with respect to stewardship, but we often default to think about generosity as in the category of correctness, as in someone is either generous or not, right? So if we're correctly generous, all is okay. But again, if we take the generosity as correctedness approach, correctness approach, we 100% miss the entire point. The point is not legalistically to dole out God's resources. The point is to use God's resources to build a life that shows off God and his generosity toward us, his mercy, his justice, his love, his patience, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, and his promises. Just think, many formerly generous people are now in hell. We know that from 2 Peter 2. They were correct in their generosity with the wrong heart and worship motivations. Their correct generosity came from sinful desires. They were not from a biblical heart of generosity. So this matter of the heart is important as we think about generosity. And it's important for a few reasons. And the first is that it's important to God. Recall the Lord's words to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7, when Samuel was looking for a king to anoint reads, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, this is, this is um, Samuel saying, when they came, he, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord is anointed, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. The motivations and intentions of our hearts are very important to God. Good acts that are not fruits of saving faith are worthless and condemning before God. Second, the heart is the driver of all of our actions. Luke chapter 6 verse 43 tells us that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What is in our hearts comes out in our words and our actions. Our heart's desires are reflected in and drive all of our actions, including in matters of generosity. 
God has made that clear, and we should be very clear-headed about it, that out of our hearts we speak and act. The state of our heart matters, and it's a leading indicator of where our heart really is and what's behind our activities and our speaking. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. A verse that should be relatively familiar with it, but I want us to think about it from the other side. So the motivations of the heart matter. We see this even in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, where Jesus was observing people making contributions uh, to the public treasury. And the rich were putting in large amounts of money, while uh, a poor widow was putting in a much smaller amount. But Jesus makes clear it was everything that the widow had. Jesus pulled his his disciples aside and did that thing where he kind of gives them a little teaching moment, you know, sort of observing things and says, you know, reminds them and tells them that the heart of generosity is not how much is given, but how much is kept. And to the world and all those watching, it looked like the rich were being really generous. But in fact, the Lord commended the widow for her generosity because he could see her heart. Now, let's look at what this uh, practically means with respect to giving a little bit closer. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 tells us that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. Now, some say there's three kinds of giving. Grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving, okay? Grudge giving says, I have to. Duty giving says, I ought to. And thanksgiving says, I get to, I I want to, right? Note how each of those indicates a state of the giver's heart. Clearly, God wants us to enjoy giving generously. And we should not approach being generous with our resources and time for God with the same same state of heart as we do in paying taxes or our rent. Let's be honest with each other. We pay taxes to avoid going to jail. Right? We pay rent so as not to be sleeping on the street. We are generous with the resources God has provided us out of thanksgiving for what God has done for us and out of the joy that comes from those blessings. Not out of obligation or in the hopes of getting something in return, for we've already received, as we said, all that we need in Christ. And we're not paying paying down any debt to God for our generosity because God needs nothing. So let's look at the heart's motivation from one other angle. So Don Whitney, who's a professor of spiritual, um, uh, biblical spirituality, associate dean of uh, the School of Theology at Southern Seminary, wrote a bunch of great books, a couple of them that I referenced on the handout that are good things to think about on spiritual disciplines, um, told this hypothetical story on uh, how our hearts the role our heart should play in our generosity of giving. If one Sunday morning at church, the pastor announced, the head of the world's largest drug cartels is here today, and we're going to take up an offering for his army. You probably would not give willingly or cheerfully to that. You might find yourself giving out of fear, potentially, of various things, but you would not give willingly or, or, or cheerfully there, right? But in contrast, if you were told the Lord Jesus Christ is outside in the hallway, and everything you give today will be presented to him and used by him for his kingdom, probably the only thing lighter than your heart would or should be at that time should be your wallet, right? Because you'd realize very clearly that you're giving to God. When we exercise acts of generosity, biblical generosity, we're giving to God. And so we should take that kind of a much of a contrast about what what that works, right? So when our hearts are right, generosity should flow out of our hearts as water flows downhill. But if our hearts are not right, the more than generosity flows out. Our sin does. 
comments, questions on this, this idea of a heart of generosity? You understand why that directs everything, everything we do? Thoughts? Comments, questions? Okay, next time I'm gonna be more awkward. <laughs> All right, so um, now some of you may be hearing this and thinking, okay, I get that God is generous and that God commands us to be like him. And so we are to be generous with God and others. But this seems really hard and complicated. Paralysis, as you, you said, right? Um, to really do. Um, and sometimes understanding and even agreeing with a biblical principle can seem way easier than the day-to-day -day act of living it out, right? It does that for me. I, I feel the same way with lots of, lots of things scripture uh, teaches, right? It's really hard to actually do it and actually follow it. Um, as Christians and those committed to growing by God's grace in our sanctification, in essence, growing more and more like Jesus, which is what, the, what sanctification is, we will still struggle with doing all of this well because we're not fully like Christ yet, and we're not fully sanctified as we will be when we're glorified with Christ in heaven. But remember, as we war with our flesh and our sinful desires, God is refining us more and more into his likeness, and that is not without pain or discomfort as it is through his discipline that we become more Christ-like and are saved from condemnation. And we know this from 2 Corinthians 11. And remember that the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, lovingly tells us, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Further on in the same chapter in verses 12, 10 through 12, he gives this further encouragement um, which I find extremely encouraging, um, where he says, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness, which of course we want to grow in holiness, right? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than ple pleasant. Think of you, those of you who've had to discipline a child. Um, it's never, never pleasant for them or for you in many instances, right? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. God understands this is hard. God understands that this is a struggle. God understands that a lot of this is painful and things. It's not just painful because you're sacrificially giving, or but painful even to think about, how do I do this well and not to be on yourself all the time, I'm not being as generous as I should, or how to think through these things. So we, we can find encouragement sort of in these words and in, and in these struggles as we think through this and realize it's a joy and not a burden. It can be a joy and not a burden. Furthermore, we're not alone in this journey. We have fellow believers and a local church to help walk alongside us as we grow in the varying aspects of our discipleship. And there are many, many examples in scripture of God's servants being generous that can also be encouraging uh, to us in our efforts here. And we're gonna look at a few, but again, this is also an area where you can find many examples in scripture of God's the, the, um, uh, servants being generous and many examples in Christian history and by the way, if you really think about it, many examples amongst our fellow brothers and sisters that we've seen, even over the last, last few weeks, of people being generous and various things. So think and meditate on those things um, and, and be encouraged. But let's look at a few of them. Let's look at Boaz and how he's generous to, to Ruth. Um, so let's first look at the Old Testament. Um, so uh, can someone look up Leviticus 19, 9 and 10? Leviticus 19. One of those all the way back next to the beginning. Great, thank you. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not 
stir up, I'm sorry, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So here we have the Levitical law that led to the kindness of Boaz. The law here showed that a complete harvest reflected a fear of greed and fear, a heart of greed and fear. The servant was to care for their neighbor and help provide for the poor and the travel, traveler as a matter of holiness. And one of the ways was you didn't glean your fields all the way to the, all the, way to the ends. Uh, later in Ruth chapter 2, we see this generosity and obedience in action. We're in Ruth chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Um, we read, When she, that is Ruth, rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her. So that's what they've already kind of have gathered. And, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Boaz generously shared his material blessings with Ruth, a foreigner and a poor traveler who was in need and did so in recognition of the blessings that he had received. Let's look at another um, example. Um, David, who was generous to Mephibosheth, uh, who was Jonathan's son. Um, Now, Jonathan's son, we know from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9, verses 13, was lame uh, in both feet. So he didn't didn't walk. He He was crippled. And we can find uh, this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where the Lord's just made his covenant with David. Uh, David is now king. Um, and for the first time, really one of the first times in his life since, since being called to be king, he stopped fleeing. Saul is dead, and Jonathan is dead, and, and sadly many others um, at this point. And we read in 2 Samuel um, 9, 7, and 11 says, David said to him, he's saying to the people in his house, and saying to um, Mephibosheth, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons for the rest of his life. Clearly, outcast society, uh, the outcast in family, I mean, uh, Saul's family, because he's also a descendant of Saul, of course, was David's enemy, um, was completely, and David, out of his kindness, in order to honor his friend Jonathan, sought um, uh, sought to help him in that way, right? So David blessed Jonathan's son with his generosity. Uh, Let's consider an example from Jesus' earthly ministry. Can someone look up Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3? Great, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So this is an amazing account of Jesus' work. Talks about his ministry, from traveling, various things, and focusing on the proclamation of the gospel. And that's often what's you know what's um, focused on in this passage. However, there's other three other things uh, of relevance to what we're thinking through today. Um, first, the faithful generosity of his servants is also clearly shown here, where it says many others were there who provided for them, and the them being Jesus and his disciples and those sort of supporting the ministry, right? So they were provided for. Second, 
they did not just utilize uh, other resources. There weren't like public funds coming in to, to support the various things. You know, Jesus and the disciples weren't independently wealthy in the sense that they were funding everything themselves or various things, right? But these, um, uh, these, these women in particular that were there around them were personally generous. They gave out of their, out of their own means. Right? So they contributed and helped in, what was things in support of the ministry there. And third, note, um, as God's word often does, it specifically calls out not just the the culturally significant participants in society. So the ones that were the, the, the rich and the famous and the you know, various things in the society. But it specifically um, references not just the powerful, but many people from different social classes. Here it talks about the support of not just heads of households. You'll notice the person who helped to run, uh, helps to run Herod's household, which think about that again for a second, Herod, the head of Herod's household, right? Various things. Who, um, you know, and, and people who would have been uh, um, esteemed in society, who largely would have been men, but make specific attention to the women accompanying Jesus, who span the spectrum from, you know, those again that were helping to run Herod's palace, which was a woman in this instance, as we learn, um, you know, here in um, uh, jo- Johanna. Um, and, and then we also have a demon-possessed woman, who also has various sort of things, who had, you know, previously, you know, Ma- Mary called Magdalene, right? So these women and many others provided for them out of their own means according to their means. Um, and no matter the station or personal situation, all generously were, help, were helping to uh, be generous in this instance for the ministry as they were able. So it didn't matter what status they came from or you know, where they were, um, the Lord used them for various things. There are an, lots of other examples. Um, one particularly, I know we're you know, currently in a series in Acts. Um, when we get to Acts 2, there's several sort of things there, uh, specifically that you should be listening for as um, Garrett and, 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 and others sort of preach through these passages. But you know, we can see in many instances where people were you know, giving of their own means, selling their own belongings, and doing various things. And in some instances, very sacrificially. And there's a lot of things that we can't take as parallels in the early Christian church to how we operate today. Things were completely different. I mean, the one example of when uh, um, Peter was literally kind of wandering around Jerusalem and giving sort of various things. They had the small congregation of 120 people, and um, they had thousands. It says a witness says 3,000 new converts joined their, joined their church. If we at our church had 3,000 people join us, well, one of the things the elders would be specifically trying to figure out, how we care for them? How do we sort of various things, right? And, various, and a lot of the people, 3,000 people, there were people who were sojourners and visitors to Jerusalem who didn't go back home. They just like, oh, I love this. Because remember, there, were no, there, wasn't a, there weren't all local churches at the time, right? So it's very different. So how do you care for them? People started selling off their own things and taking care of needs. Unique circumstances that people stepped up and figured out what to do. You've got the stories of the man called Barnabas who went and sold the field. He had extra fields. Once just sold the field and gave his money to Jesus because he, he thought he should contribute, didn't know what it was for, but said, you're doing good work. I want to support you. I don't know what it is, but here are various things. So um, you can see there are lots of examples of that. Again, good things to think through as you read through um, the scripture and sort of think through. We saw in our introduction um, this anonymous woman who provided for you know, uh, George Mueller who had an extra five pounds. You know, um, not really a huge amount of money, but in, that t- in the 1830s, that's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, and she even had more things to do. She was going to sell her jewelry and do various things, but she thought, I'll bring it today. That was one of the first times in George Mueller's Bristol ministry where he had run out of funds. And, and by the way, that five pounds only covered his expenses for that ministry for two days. And then two days later, somebody else started raising. So you know the story of George Mueller. There's lots of sort of aspects where you know, he, he just prayed for the Lord to bring things in and people happened. And a lot of it, and honestly, people not knowing various things, but having to do it, but the generosity that people would think, oh, I should sell my jewelry and do this, or I have, ex- I have extra. You know, as Patrick alluded to last week, when we have extra, how do we think about that? You know, various things, how to think about that. And again, not that all of it should be given to George Mueller's orphanage, but you understand the point, right? Okay. So there's a theme, though, that's painted across Scripture 
and throughout history that really kind of um, demonstrates and talks through these things. So, um, 2 Corinthians 9, we spent a lot of time in 2 Corinthians. It's a great passage to think about generosity. Um, Paul, Paul writes this. I love the fact that it says the point is this. So if you're going to focus on something, the point is this, right? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now this is a fucking truism, right? If you plant just a little, you're not going to get a large harvest. You're just, you're just not, right? Like the faithful stewards in, that we learned about earlier, God likes for us to take risks and bet fully on him by sowing or giving generously. Again, our generosity showcases how much we receive from above, and it should mark every Christian. We should give generously to support our local church, to encourage missionaries, to help our neighbors in need, to love our families, and to encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord. First Timothy, uh, in First Timothy, Paul writes in chapter 6, As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty. What does that mean? Proud, right? Don't be be proud. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Again, back those every good and perfect gift, right? Everything to enjoy, everything we need, as well as, as God's things. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So we're to do good works, be generous, and share. And this isn't just a command for the rich, right? The context here is specifically addressing the rich in the Church of Corinth were were doing other things um, and and being haughty about what they were doing. Look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing. Kind of reminds you of the rich men and and the widow, right, that Jesus pointed out to his disciples, right? So when we give of our time, our attention, and our material resources from a heart of generosity, we fight against materialism, money and time the way it's supposed to be used, benefiting others and bringing glory to God. You see, God created us to love people and use things, but materialists love things and use people. Giving of our money and time is the opposite of greed. Think about it. If you want to grow in your faith and want a tangible way to do that, Give of your time, your attention, and your material resources generously. Hebrews 13.6 says, Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Comments? Questions? On this idea of God's servants practicing generosity and what that kind of looks like, how that sort of exercises the various things. Um, there aren't a bunch of, you know, the gospel doesn't just talk about all super Christians who did everything right, but how we learn about these things. You know, there are no super Christians uh, living today or, or, or ever in history. So, right? What do we, so, any thoughts or comments on this? Yes? I was helped by that, or been helped by the concept that it's not a binary, right? It's not like you're either generous or not generous. It's like right. everything else in the Christian life. You're yeah. or that you're living life by an Excel spreadsheet. Right. Which is, that, that's just not helpful. I don't like Excel spreadsheets. I never figure out how to make them work properly. Um, but like, but that you're doing a ledger. There's no ledger, right? The ledger's been wiped clean. 
So why would we think about generosity and the command to be generous like we do any other sort of aspect of commands in Scripture? And we often find ourselves, that's the world's way of wanting to think about that. That's not the way that Scripture teaches to think about that. Ben, do you have your hand up here? Okay. Dot. Kind of on You're just scratching. <laughs> um, so even with what you just said, like something that I've been wondering, and I think a barrier to generosity can kind of be that wrestle with, oh, is it wise? So like, is it ever unwise to be generous? In a sense, like that woman, was she a widow who gave her coins? Yeah. The widow who gave everything, mm -hmm. or even like you just said, the rich young ruler, Jesus said, and remember, that was a question about figuring out where his heart was. Yes. So right. It wasn't a command to give everything you have to everybody, right? So, yeah, so, yeah. So, like, as you're, and I know you said it even too, like, oh, you've decided in your heart how much will you give. But I guess, do you know what I'm asking? Like, if you have this amount of money and someone needs that amount, is it ever unwise to just give it to them? Well, again, it depends on the, the circumstances in that, in that particular issue. If you know, that uh, individual has been struggling with how they use it or has been, you know, various things of a struggle or what would be the most thing that, you know, help them, um, help them out. It depends on the, the unique circumstance of that. And, um, but it's, it, what we're called here is it's a disposition of our heart, right? Where are we inclined to do? May, may, maybe for you it would be wise for you not to give, you know, cover all the costs, but to go find two or three of your you know, your friends, hey, let's all pool our various things and help others. It's more people, more people to pray with them, more people to walk along with them, more people to hold them accountable. And, and again, in some instances, that accountability, openness, and various things could be a very caring aspect of things. Um, in some instances, the providing those things you know, should maybe be done in private, where there's not, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate. It would be discouraging or wrong you know, to have more people. So it just depends on the certain but it's a disposition of our heart. Um, and I think if, you know, with everything else that we're called to do, in how we kind of live out our lives and daily lives. We have ups and downs, right? So this idea is not, it's not just an all or nothing. It's not a, you know, we were generous here. Oh, you know, I wasn't generous there. If you look at everything, I mean, how many times a day am I not loving? How many times a day am I not completely honest? Or, you know, think about this. We, all, we, we, we have all those things about how we're kind of continuing kind of learn about things. So it's thinking through this and being open and having a heart that remembers you know, the giving and tithing and generosity and helping various is very and very clear on not just sort of our material resources, but what is it? What is it mean for us? You know, we, a lot of us don't have a lot. A lot of us have you know, very have more time. You know, last week we talked about stewardship of time versus money. There's it makes sense where somebody might want need to pay somebody to mow their lawn because their time is more valuable doing other things for the kingdom. Universities than others, while as another person, no, they should pay for them, they should mow their own lawn and not use that. The How we do those trade offs and various things, that's also why we're called to live not lives in solo independence of various things, but we live in a community of believers that helps us think through those things and help to walk with us. Ben? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's an important piece at the end, just because we're called to be generous, not just with money. So I don't think we, we should be thinking about these things just in terms of money, but also with time. So if you think about, you know, again, the person you know, on, on the stoplight, yeah, you could you could you could give you know uh, you know a gift card a few few dollars or something like that, and in, in one sense that could be could be generous. Yeah. In another sense, it's it's a lot harder, a lot a lot more generous to pull our card over and have a conversation with that person and mm -hmm. see what they're really going through, see how they and so so we don't we don't feel like hey it might be the best use to give that money. Um, it's a lot harder to pull yeah to, to strike up that conversation. Because it requires a lot more time and investment uh, in that sense, and so um, 
Yeah, I would just, again, challenge us not, not to always think of it just in terms of uh, do I give this money or not, but as, as we think through uh, whether or not we, um, yeah, this, this would be wise to give money in this instance, there might be other things that we that God is calling us to invest in this room rather than just that, rather than just that dollar figure. Well said. Michelle? Was it, is it Dot? Dot. Dot, I'm sorry. When Dot was talking about the widow's mite, the woman who gave everything, which was not much, um, I'm wondering where you're talking about. There's a lot in God's eyes. Exactly. So financially, it wasn't a lot, but it was all she had. So I'm wondering when you're saying, is there a good time or a bad time to give? Are you talking about maybe like responsibility wise? Like, did she need that money to take care of her child and yeah. rely on the church? Mm-hmm. Kind of like, is that what you were? Kind of, because it's like, say, because I've heard this scenario before. It's like, all right, you have to pay your light bill. Your light bill is $250 or something. I don't know. And then someone, you're having a conversation, and they're just like, man, I need $250 to pay my rent. This is not real, mm-hmm. but like, mm-hmm. you know, for you who like, okay, I have this 250 but it's for this thing. Like, is it ever like, should you just give that to someone? And like, oh, Lord, I know you'll provide. Or, you know, like. Yeah, again, um, it's, it's about the disposition. Then next week we're going to specifically talk about what's the difference between obligations and opportunities and sort of think through and give some sort of principles uh, think about how we can think about those things. Again, every situation is a little unique, so you can't scenari- generically come up with sort of options, but that can help you very interesting to think through that. Yeah, so just Josh. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that does tie back to what we were learning last week about, um, you know, zero-based budgeting. And so as mm-hmm. long as we're, we're, we've thoughtfully looked through our budget um, and said, are, we, are, are these really needs, are they wants, and, and, and how we kind of come to that, that budget decision, I don't think we need to feel guilty to say, okay, no, we've thoughtfully prayed through the budget, thoughtfully, and we, we yes, this is, we do need to pay that $250 for the life. So I don't think there needs to be a guilt that, okay, yeah, I have this money, do I just need to give it away? But um, it, it really does even come back to how we set up our budget. Um, yeah, both, very, very, uh, very, very good points. That posture and in that instance about the zero-based budget was actually strategically thinking about there might come opportunities that you run into. So I set aside a little bit of my own budget to be able to help contribute in those circumstances, right? There's, there's, and there's a myriad of wise ways to think about that. You know, as Josh says, you know, maybe there's, maybe it's appropriate for you to, you know, encourage that person to go to the elders of their church and explain their situation, and, and they can collectively sort of look through things. That's also a good way, by the way, to consider organizations about if your church is supporting things or thinking through things, having others sort of look at this, that makes that paralysis a little, a little easier. Lean on, you know, the shepherds that you've been given to help you think through those things. So just some other thoughts, but we're going to talk a lot more about that next, um, next week, and talk about things. So. Um, you know, we've we've come to come to our end. So let's um, 
let's just review the four main ideas that we've talked about here and it's just some final closing thoughts. So again, back to our main points. God is generous toward us, so we should be generous toward God and others. Two, our hearts reflect our loves and our purposes and therefore direct our words and our actions. Third, the overflow of a biblically generous heart will produce fruits of generous actions with our attention, our time, and our material resources. And fourth and finally, a heart of generosity will result in generous actions toward others and others made in his image out of love, joy, thankfulness, and obedience. Just a final thought to help spur us on together as we think to think about this um, and be a little more, uh, hopefully consciously in the posture of our hearts, as Josh says, rightly, um, may think, help us think about this a little, a little more particularly even in the coming, coming days and weeks. As we seek to have hearts of generosity, a good place to proactively and self-consciously focus is on the sufficiency of Christ. There are many things in our lives fighting to fulfill our satisfaction. Pray that you can claim, as David does in Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. A bold and faithful claim to really hold, but by God's grace, each of us can grow more and more sure of its truth each day. The key, this is a key for having generous hearts. The person who is content with God is free to do good, to give generously to those in need. We need to fall out of love with the things of this world, holding less tightly to the things that will only burn on the last day. We are ambassadors and image bearers of the king. We don't hope in the dead or in dead things, but in the living God and the living Christ and his eternal generous provision and the promises which are indeed all sufficient for us. As God has been generous with us, let us have hearts of generosity. Let's pray. Father God, as we thank you for being a generous God who provides hope in living promises and in gracious gifts, both here as we live our lives on earth and eternally. Father, we ask that you would make us more like you by your grace. Make us generous servants for your heavenly purposes. Give us hearts of biblical generosity, and Father, that you may use that and use us as uh, your servants and your tools to bring about more glory for yourself and more good for our souls. We pray these things in your risen Son, Jesus' name. Amen.